Book launches are one of the most important and least understood stages in the author journey. Many authors think that if they write a masterpiece, readers will demand to read a copy. But the same day you launch your book, at least 1,000 other books are released as well. And if you're not careful, you will get lost in the noise. Many authors learn the lessons of book launching during the painful aftermath of a failed book launch. And what makes it worse is that you only get one chance to launch your book unless you're willing to revise or rewrite and re-release your book. In this episode, we're going to talk about four painful lessons many authors learn the hard way and, more importantly, how you can avoid that pain yourself. I'm Thomas Umstadt, CEO of Author Media, and this is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. And let's just jump right into it. The first lesson that authors learn the hard way is that good launches take time to prepare. The key to success in book launching is preparation ahead of time. It takes time to build that email newsletter. It takes time to build the following the email subscribers. It takes time to set up media interviews. It takes time to put a launch team together. Everything takes time. And remember, the goal of the book launch is for it to all happen during the same first two weeks so that you have a good chance to hit a bestseller list. Because once you get that bestseller badge, once you get featured in that newspaper as being a bestselling book, you are a bestselling author and the path forward is so much easier. But if you want everything to happen all at once, you have to spend the time ahead of time making sure that happens. It doesn't just happen on its own. And I will say this is a particular trap for indie authors. The biggest killer of an indie book launch is launching too quickly. Uh, The indie author is so excited to have her book ready to sell that the day it's ready to go live, the day it's done being typeset and proofread, that's the day it launches. And this is a huge mistake. You need to set aside time to send out review copies. You need to set aside time to get people excited to build that anticipation so that you're not lost in the noise of the other thousand books that are launching your same day. And if you can have the patience to let that anticipation build, to let readers get excited, you will sell a lot more copies and you'll sell especially a lot more copies during those first critical two weeks. Now, if you're indie published, I'm not saying that you have to wait two years like a traditional published author, but it is a good idea to wait some amount of time while you're getting everyone excited. The second lesson that authors learn the hard way is that big platforms make for big launches. The bigger your platform, the bigger your launch can be. Now, we all have to start somewhere, and when you do a launch correctly, your launch leads to you having a bigger platform for the next launch. So you build that momentum, or to change metaphors, you get the flywheel spinning faster and faster, and the bigger your platform is, the more following you have, the bigger future launches you can do, where each launch is a stepping stone to the next bigger launch. Now I should say here that while a massive platform can help you have a better launch, it doesn't guarantee success. Also, you can have a successful launch with a modest platform. In fact, if you launch your book correctly, like I said, the result will be a larger platform for the next book. But the bigger the platform, the bigger the launch can be. Now, big platforms don't guarantee success. They just make the launch 
bigger. Now, a big launch may be a bad thing, and we're going to talk about that in the next uh, lesson. There's a lot of painful lessons here that authors learn the hard way. So how do you build your platform? Well, we have a whole episode on this, episode 142, How to Develop Book Marketing Assets. But I'll give you a quick, a couple of quick tips here on how to build your platform. For fiction authors, this means reading books on craft and writing short stories after you've read that book on craft. This helps you get better at the writing, which is so important for fiction, but it also gives you short stories that you can use to build your email list and get people excited about your reading. Uh, Why would someone pay to read your novel if they won't read your short story for free? Uh, For nonfiction, this means studying the craft of how to write better blog posts and blogging regularly, right? Why would somebody pay to read your book if they won't read your blog post for free? And if you're doing it right, you can build a passionate audience of blog readers or short story readers that can't wait to get the book. It's just like having the book come out ahead of the movie. The fans of the book are the first ones in line to watch the movie, and the fans of the blog or the short story are the first ones in line to read the book. The third painful lesson that authors learn the hard way is that big launches help bad books fail faster. (laughs) The goal of a book launch is to get people talking about your book. And if your book is bad, that means they are talking bad things about your book, which is actually bad for you. If you're going to write a bad book, it is best that no one talk about it and no one read it so you don't damage your reputation. You only get one shot at a book launch and you only get one reputation. So while you can write and launch other books, you only get one reputation. And you want to have a good reputation among readers. So what makes a book a bad book? Well, it's not grammar and typos. At least that's not all of it. In fact, there's so much more to what makes a book a good book than just that. Uh, Good books have three things, really, just these three things. I'll break them down. The first one is good books target the right readers. This is where your genre comes in. So imagine a physical bookstore. Back in the days when we went to physical bookstores. In some parts of the world, they're reopened. I think they're even open in Italy now. Now, each shelf of that bookstore has a different kind of book, a different genre. And certain kinds of people walk to that shelf looking for a book, right? There's a certain kind of person who walks to the romance shelf, and there's a certain kind of person who walks to the business shelf, right? And there's dozens of books in a physical bookstore, and there are thousands of books in a digital bookstore. And each shelf attracts a different kind of reader. And if you are on the wrong shelf, what's going to happen is that those readers who are walking to that shelf are going to look at your book on the shelf, and they're going to skip right past it. They're never going to even pull out the book from the shelf. They're never going to really look at the cover. They're not going to read the back cover copy. You have no chance to win them if you're not targeting the right readers. And so you want to spend a lot of time thinking about what shelf you want to be on or to put it in Amazon language, which category you want to be in and which subcategory you want to be in. Some categories are incredibly competitive. Others are less competitive. This is why I bring Alex Newhouse on the podcast so often to talk about the stats on which categories are easier and which categories are harder because it changes from year to year. And and recently it's been changing month to month. The numbers are uh, going all over the place because of the pandemic. You want to target the right readers. The second element of good books is that good books make the right 
promise. So you're on the shelf you want to be on that is attracting the kind of reader that you think will respond to the promise that you're making. Now you need to make a promise to that reader. And the goal of the promise that you're making with your book is for the reader to say, shut up and take my money. And they grab your book and they run to the front of the store or they buy it right then and start reading it. And how you make that promise is an element of three things. Two are the same for fiction and nonfiction, and then the third one changes for fiction and nonfiction. So the first is the cover. The cover needs to be similar to other books that that reader has loved, right? Because the promise is this book is going to be like books that you have loved in the past. Very few readers are very adventurous. They don't read very far outside their genre. And so if you want them to resonate with the cover, if you want them to be like, yes, this is what I'm looking for, you can't be too different. You can't be too strange. You need to be what they're already looking for. And you can shake your fist at the world and be like, this isn't fair. People should be into what I am writing. But that is not how the world works. You have to conform yourself to fit with how the universe is rather than trying to demand that the universe change itself to conform to you. You are not that powerful. The second element of making that promise is the back cover of the book. This includes the copy, it includes your bio, your photo, the price. This is a lot of the details of your book. And this back cover copy, all of those elements are kind of rearranged on an Amazon page, but they're all still there. And this is where you actually literally make a promise, right? If it, your book is a nonfiction book, uh, you may promise, right, this book will help you get out of debt. And if you, your book is a romance, like this is a romance that is similar to the romances you've loved in the past. The third element is the element that shifts back and forth. So for nonfiction, it's the table of contents. Readers are going to look at that table of contents and look at your chapter headings. And each one of those chapter headings needs to be a sales pitch for what is in that chapter and why it is so beneficial. And I was going to link to an episode on uh, table of contents, but I realized I've not done an episode on table of contents and how to use them uh, for marketing purposes. So I've added that to the idea doc. I do have an episode on book covers, episode 106, 10 things every book cover needs. And then we also have one on back covers, episode 111, how to write best-selling back cover copy. But that table of contents needs to be really strong. When the reader reads the table of contents, they're like, yes, this is what I'm looking for. And if you're afraid that the table of contents will give away the content of your book, you don't have enough content in your book. Uh, There needs to be so much substance there that when they're reading the table of contents, they're getting more and more excited until they run and say, shut up and take my money. For a fiction book, uh, readers don't care too much about the table of contents. In fact, you may not even have one because they read at the start of the book and they read straight to the end. And so for fiction, what matters is that first page. You need to open strong. You need to introduce a character that the reader can relate to. And you need it to, by the time they're done with that first page, they really want to turn the page and read the second page. And it's usually at that point they're like, okay, I'm sold. And they take it to the counter. They click add to cart on Amazon. So making the right promise is really important. If you don't make the right promise to the right readers, you don't have a good book. But there is a third leg of the good book stool. And if you only have two legs and you don't have the third one, your book will fail. And good books over deliver on their promise. So you good books target the right readers, good books make the right promise, and then finally good books over deliver 
on their promise. So you've made this promise that this book with the cover, that this book is like another book that you like, or this book will help you with some specific aspect of your life. Now the inside of the book has to actually deliver on that promise. If you've promised a cozy romance, then you'd better have a romance that feels cozy. If you promise a method to get out of debt, then that book had better help readers get out of debt. Now, it is in the over-delivering on this promise where they get more than what they were expecting. That's what causes people to talk. And that word of mouth is what leads to best-selling books. Uh, And this is also where craft comes in, right? If you have a great cover that this book is like other books that the reader has liked, but the inside of the book is poorly written or it's not up to those same high standards that the cover was held up to, they are going to say this is a bad book. And I, I will say this is the, of the three legs, I think this is the leg of the good book stool that people most understand. They understand that the book has to be well written on the inside, but how to make it well written for those readers, because different readers look for different things, right? As thriller readers are wanting short, punchy sentences and kind of edge of your seat action, whereas literary readers may be wanting longer, more complicated sentences and beautiful language, whereas the thriller reader wants the words to disappear and the story to just take them off on a roller coaster. And so good is different depending on the readers. And that's why those first two legs come first. So you need to know who you're trying to thrill, and you need to know how you're trying to thrill them before you can actually thrill them. And this process of learning how to be good at the craft of writing is why we created the five-year plan. It's a five-year plan to help you become a best-selling author, and there's a lot of work in the early years about developing your craft, getting better at the craft of writing. And we get just incredible feedback from the students going through that because they know what to do and when to do it and when to put the cart on and when to just get the horse stronger and ultimately not put the cart before the horse. If you launch your book too soon, not just in the sense of uh, not having time to build up the launch, but in the sense of like the book's not ready and the book's not good enough, the cover's not good enough, the promise is not good enough, I haven't spent the time practicing, I haven't written the short stories to see if I can create stories that resonate with readers. If you haven't done that, you are really taking a big risk with your book launch. The fourth and final painful lesson that authors learn the hard way is that good book launches require an investment ahead of time. So it's not uncommon for authors, especially first-time authors, to skimp on the launch. They don't spend a lot of time and they don't spend a lot of money. And then, once they see that the sales are not what they want them to be, they start spending the money later. And this is a huge mistake. You get maximum bang for your buck during that first month and even in the month leading up to the launch of your book. People are most excited about a new book or or an upcoming book. And waiting to be disappointed and then boosting your investment is the worst possible strategy that authors fall into, and yet it's the most common strategy. And you end up wasting a lot more money doing it this way than you do if you strike while the iron is hot. And the iron is hottest on release day. That is when people are the most excited. And that excitement makes marketing more effective. People don't get excited about books that have been out for a while, like I said. And remember, every book in the bargain bin was once in the store selling for full price, sometimes just a few weeks or months earlier. And so you want to be doing your promotion while your book is on the shelf at full price, not while it's in 
the bargain bin. Now there are times to do bargain bin strategies and to drop your price for short periods of time to bring in more readers. There's a lot of evergreen marketing tactics that we talk about on this podcast and I'm not against those and if you can create an evergreen hit uh, that can be really good for your career. But the iron is hottest during the launch and so that is when you want to strike the hardest to get the best return on your investment. Now, it doesn't need to cost a fortune. In fact, uh, a lot of what you'll be doing during the book launch is not investing money, but rather investing time. Book launching can be a relatively inexpensive process. This is why it works so well for traditionally published authors. Traditionally published authors, it doesn't make sense for them to spend money marketing their book because their cost per copy that they make is so low, there's just no margins in it. And yet book launches are a really good strategy for a traditionally published author because they're generally so inexpensive in terms of dollars. But inexpensive does not mean free. So I have three steps uh, or three tips to, to help you along this process of using your money wisely. And the first one is to set some money aside. You want to pick an amount of money that you're willing to risk on the investment and the launch of your book, and you only want to risk money that you don't need to pay the bills. You don't take your rent money and you spend it on a book launch. That is not a strategy that I would recommend because you don't know if your book is going to have a successful launch or not. Right? You never really know that the book is making the right promise to the right people and will over-deliver on that promise until after the book is out. So you want to be shrewd with your investment. You want to invest as much as you can, but nothing that you would be hurt if you didn't get it back. Now, hopefully you get it all back and then some you get a return on your investment. But the future is uncertain. You could have written an amazing travel book and then a pandemic happened and the whole country was locked down and due to no fault of your own, suddenly no one was interested in the promise you were making. Right? We don't know what the future will hold. Uh, Now, depending on where you are financially, this may mean saving money for a few months so that you have some money to work with. And if you're indie publishing, you'll want a few thousand dollars if possible because you are the whole marketing department and you need to give the book the launch it deserves. Uh, But the main thing is to decide ahead of time how much you're going to spend on the launch. Then once you have that number, you decide how you're going to spend it. Very rarely do I encounter an author who's approaching their investment in their promotion in this kind of strategic way. Usually they approach it like somebody going to the grocery store with a credit card and they're just buying stuff that they think is a good price. And sometimes they're spending way too much and sometimes they're spending way too little, but they're not spending their money strategically. The second tip is to create a plan. So now that you have a certain amount of money set aside, and you're like, this is what I'm spending. I have a budget, a launch budget of $2,500, let's say. Then you can create a plan on where you're going to spend that money ahead of time. And my advice here is don't ask, will this help me sell more books? Because the answer to that for almost any promotion tactic is yes, this will help you sell more books. But that's not the goal. (laughs) You're not trying to sell more books. You're trying to get the most number of books sold for the dollars that you're spending. So instead ask, will this sell more books than the other things I can spend money on? Just because buying a billboard will help you sell more books doesn't mean that it's a good thing to invest your money on. You'll sell more books 
doing something else in most cases. Maybe there's an instance when buying billboards or doing outdoor advertising will help with selling a book, but usually that is not the case. Outdoor advertising is hard to make work for a book. If you set aside $2,500 for your book launch and you spend $500 on your website, that means you have $2,000 left over for everything else. So should you spend more money on a better website or should you spend more money on getting books made and shipped to influencers or reviewers? This is the kind of kind of push and pull that you're doing during this planning stage. You're finding that best mix of all the different activities so that you get the best return on that investment. Uh, or should you? Another thing you might be thinking about spending your money on is another round of designs, maybe with a different designer to have a stronger book cover. Sometimes that's a good thing to spend money on. Maybe you're not totally in love with that first cover that you got, and you knew you know that a bad cover will make all of the subsequent marketing harder. Once you know how much money to work with, you're able to make really intelligent decisions about your spending. And the kind of decisions that you'll make with a $500 budget are different than the kind of decisions you're going to make with a $5,000 budget. Right? There's different options that are on the table, different decisions you're going to need to make. Now, I know this is a clean podcast, but I'm going to use a bad word for a lot of you, and that word is budget. That is right. A strategic plan for how you're going to spend your money is called a budget. Now, many advertisers will make you think that budget means stingy, but a bud, you know, a budget car is a cheap car. But that is not what budget means. At least in the business context, a budget is a strategic plan to get the best return on your money. You can budget to spend a lot of money on something. But the key is that you decide ahead of time knowing how much you have to spend. Spending more money on X means spending less money on Y because you have a budget. Now my advice is to plan on spending most of your budget during the book launch process. Book, like I said before, book launches make PR easier. You'll get a better response to your advertising. You'll get more visits to your website. It's like your birthday. Everyone treats you better around a book launch. And so that's when you want most of the money to land. In fact, typically, I recommend that you only spend promotion money post-launch from the profits that came in from the launch. So let's say you spent $2,500 promoting the book launch and you brought in $5,000 worth of profit. You may you know, take $2,500 and keep it and maybe spend the next $2,500 trying to keep that momentum going. Again, I'm just picking numbers out of the air here. And I'm not saying that those are the numbers that you're going to have or that's what you should do if you make a $5,000 profit. But what I am saying you should do is that you should do it strategically. You should do it ahead of time. And you should not make money decisions in the heat of the moment when you're getting a sales pitch from that website guy he's like no if you get the super deluxe website it will be better maybe maybe not but remember budget doesn't mean being stingy it means being strategic and if you're not able to make the launch profitable you're not likely going to be able to fix it by spending money later on because just like when the launch makes everything easier post-launch, everything is harder. You're going to get less clicks on your ads. You're going to get less attention from the media. It's a lot harder to get somebody to interview you about your book that came out five years ago. It's not impossible. I still get interviews on my book that came five years ago, but it is harder. Now, if you want help 
putting together a strategy that helps make your book launch successful. That's what the book launch blueprint is all about. We help you put together that plan to best spend your time and money and also teach you how to do the skills, whether it's building a launch team or building an email list. Uh, But we're not done with the tips. So real quick, the third tip of this fourth lesson is to play to your strengths. So you will get the best return on your investment of time and money, not just by spending that time and money mostly during the book launch, but also by playing inside of your strength zones. If you are good at you know speaking from the stage, you're going to want to really lean in to trying to speak from the stage as much as possible, especially now that uh, the world is opening up, right? Stages aren't quite open yet, but maybe they will be in 2021. Maybe you can develop a strength of being good as a guest on podcasts and you have a topic that is very timely to podcasts right now and you can do lots and lots of interviews. I have an author in one of my um, mastermind groups and she does two or three podcast interviews every week. She uses our podcast host directory and she's just constantly booking podcasts and getting in front of new audiences about her message because she has a topic that lends itself well to podcast guesting. So she plays to her strengths and helping identify your strengths and also helping identify your weaknesses is another thing we do in the book launch blueprint. So for those of you who don't know, the book launch blueprint is our 21 day intensive. We do it once a year where we take a small group of students, James Rubart and I take a small group of students through 21 days of training on how to cre- uh, create a book launch. And at the end, you will have a custom book launch blueprint tailored to your brand, your strengths, and your weaknesses. From building an email list and email launch plan to getting booked on media appearances, this is a comprehensive course that will give you the knowledge you need to launch your book with a bang. You will have continued access even after the course is done. So all of the sessions you'll continue to be able to watch into the future. You can even go through the course again for free next year if you want to. And we have students who enjoyed the course from last year, the year before so much, they're going through it again, which I think is really cool um, because most classes are not that way where you enjoyed it so much you want to do it again. You can find out more at booklaunch.fun. And I will say the course starts on May 31st, 2020 that is when registration ends may 31st 2020 this is not the kind of course you can sign up for at any time we all go through the 21 days together and i should say that uh, if you're a patron of the podcast before you sign up for the course you get a special bonus which is the how to get booked as a podcast guest course it's normally 249 dollars and you get that included for free with your registration for the book launch blueprint. Just uh, email me your receipt. There's instructions on Patreon on what to do to get that free course. Speaking of patrons on patreon.com, our featured patron is Jennifer Lamont Leo, author of Moondrop Miracle. During the Great Depression, a spoiled socialite must find a way to support herself and her child. Can she turn a homemade recipe for skin tonic into a livelihood? So Jennifer Lamont Filio, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you for helping keep us on the air. I couldn't do this without your help. We wouldn't have blog post versions of the episodes if it weren't for patrons like you. So I very much appreciate you. And if you want to become a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, especially if you want to get that bonus course when signing up for the book launch blueprint, we'll have a link to do it on novelmarketing.com. 
you can also go to patreon.com and do a search for Novel Marketing. And if you can't afford to become a patron but you still want to help the show, you can. Just share this episode with one author you think would find it helpful in launching their book. Now, uh, yesterday we took our children uh, to the family ranch for some social distancing family time with my parents. Uh, the kids' grandparents, and my daughter, Mercy. She's 19 months old now, and she was so excited to see the cows. We had been hyping the cows all week, and so she was really excited to see the cows. And we got to the cabin. There weren't The cows were far away, so my dad goes uh, scouting around the ranch to find where the cows are today because uh, they, you know, they wander and graze on different fields. And uh, we finally found them, so we drove up to the field to go see Uh, the cows my daughter gets out of the car and she's so excited and she starts walking towards the cows and they all stop and stare at her right she has their full attention and as she continues moving the cows they get more and more afraid of her more nervous until finally they bolt and run in the other direction (laughs) and this is normally how cows interact right there but it's fascinating to me that these two-ton creatures are so afraid of a tiny little baby who can barely walk, right? There's nothing that my daughter can do to harm a two-ton cow, and yet they were running away from her. Now, yes, I was staying close by, so maybe they were afraid of me, but uh, they were looking at her. (laughs) And, you know, maybe it was she was like a coyote, low in the grass, and they didn't know any better. Uh, But if anyone should have been afraid, it should have been my daughter, Mercy. Right? She could have been hurt by those very big and powerful cows, and yet she had no fear, partly because she didn't know to be afraid. She's too small to be afraid of a cow. Now, while it's easy for us to make fun of cowardly cows, or even make dad jokes about cowardly cows, uh, who are afraid of things they shouldn't be, or are afraid of things that can't hurt them, how often do we put ourselves in that same situation, right? How often are we afraid to send that email promoting our book or reach out to that podcaster to come and do a guest interview because we're afraid? And that podcaster can't hurt us any more than my daughter could hurt those cows. We keep ourselves from telling the world about our book that will make the world a better place out of fear. And fear, often, that's of something that is not real. (laughs) So, My encouragement to you is to connect with your inner toddler and charge right at that thing that is making you afraid. You may be surprised that it bolts for the fence as well. Do the thing regardless of your fear. Courage is not getting rid of the fear. It's right action in the face of fear. And that way you can be less cowardly yourself okay anyway you have been listening to thomas umstadt jr on the novel marketing podcast to find the blog version of this episode or to get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically visit novelmarketing.com thank you for listening and live long and prosper